0: Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guests today are Andre Wright with the Adonai Transitional Housing Program in Phoenix, Arizona, Shaisha Bell with Life Skills Foundation in Durham, North Carolina, and Mike Williams with the Dreams and Success Homes, or DASH Foundation, in Miami, Florida. Welcome, everybody, to this podcast. We are going to be talking about transitional housing options for young people in foster care, and I'm so glad that you could join us to have this conversation. To get started, what I'm going to do is ask each of you to provide an introduction of yourself and what you do with your organization and a little bit about what your organization does for young people. To get started, Mike, how about if I toss it to you?
1: Awesome. Thank you, Ms. Lynn. As you said, my name is Mike Williams. I'm the founder and CEO of The Dash Network, which is a social impact project created of a for-profit and a non-profit, which is Dreams and Success Homes and Dash Foundation. And our whole mission is to create a therapeutic empowerment housing and coaching network that educates, develops, and supports young people aging out of foster care into self-confidence, self-sufficiency, and financial freedom. Our ultimate vision is that every young adult aging out from 18 to 23 has a set of resources that creates a pathway towards homeownership over five years, utilizing the resources in their life.
0: That's fantastic. And just for the listeners, Mike is actually in Florida and <laughs> Tropical Storm Lee. <laughs> is in the background. So if you hear thunder while he's speaking, that's you why.
1: Guess, please, <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mike. Andre, how about you?
2: Yeah. So my name is Andre Wright, founder and CEO of Adonai Transitional Housing, located in Phoenix, Arizona. We have some transitional housing services for the Department of Child Safety out here and just excited about the work that we're doing and, and expanding.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here today. And Shaisha. Yes, thanks, Lynn. My name is Shaisha Bell, and I am the Director
3: of Programs here in Durham, North Carolina at Life Skills Foundation. We provide wraparound support and transitional housing for youth aging out of foster care. We start working with youth around 16 up and through their 25th birthday. We get to work with them over our quite a long period of time to help them prepare for adulthood and then during their transition and kind of settling into adulthood.
0: Thank you so much. And thank you all for the work that you do with these young people, particularly around housing, because I know housing is so important for young people who are leaving the foster care system. That is, of course, a broad brush statement that it's important. But why is it important? I want to ask you all, What is it about transitional housing that makes it an important topic for us to discuss and add to our podcast series? And I'll just open it up to anybody who would like to answer.
2: Transitional housing is important, I think, because youth, as they're aging out of foster care, need some sort of, I think, exposure to adulthood just as anyone else would. And so I think it really provides an opportunity for youth to bump their head a bit as they have support as they're transitioning into adulthood. And so I think transitional housing is the perfect solution or, or one of the you know the perfect solutions to providing that support for youth as they age out. Yeah, I was going to just
1: second what Andre said, that they, our young people as they transition out, they either was often taking a lot of risk and didn't have a lot of accountability And when they're aging out, they're going to often take a lot more risk. And so they need that accountability and like a support system to be there and reinforce them rather than them just out there by themselves and really not having that guidance and that hand up. So definitely agree with Andre.
3: And I think Andre and Mike spoke to the opportunities, the opportunity that transitional housing brings. And from a need perspective, so many youth who age out of foster care face housing instability or homelessness in the first two years of aging out of foster care. And so transitional housing is that logical next step into one, preventing them from being homeless while providing support while they
0: transition into adulthood. So what is lacking with young people in foster care that creates this situation that homelessness is such a big problem that when they age out, they don't know maybe how to find housing or they're not able to get the money for housing? What do you think are the key factors at play here? I'm just thinking of their peers, their non-fostered peers. Of course, they have their families and if they are attempting an apartment, they usually have family support. Is that really the core of it is they do not have that family support or network around them? I think that's a huge part is the support. If we're thinking from a bigger
3: picture or perspective, most youth who turn 18 don't immediately move into independent housing. But for whatever reason, there's an expectation that youth who age out of foster care are expected to be on their own and to be completely independent. But at 18, you're either going off to college, or most people are staying at home well past 25, or they go to college and they come back home. I think there was a study that said that most people aren't completely independent of their parents until like 27. So there's this expectation that foster youth specifically are to turn 18, find housing, and then support themselves when it's not an expectation for most young adults.
1: And then just the lack of social, emotional control that a lot of our young people have with people skills and navigating conflict and rejection and a lot of things that come with the real world, they don't know how to respond and end up doing things as if they were still children in the mindset. And unfortunately, a lot of the world don't know this population. And so they get altercations that just get blown to an extensive amount because of how they are, because before 18 They don't get much opportunity to face conflict or to face a lot of things because if something happens, they just get kicked out and move to the next place. So, we're big on really that self awareness and that confidence because we often push them out into the real world and say, Hey, you got five years to get these life skills and get real world together. But a lot of them don't even have the confidence yet to understand the life skills and everything that's going into it. So, you know, I value transitional and supportive housing to an extensive amount because of that reasoning there. We get to put them in real adult like situations, but handle them as if they were you know, adults, not kids. Well,
0: it gives them a chance to practice.
1: For sure.
3: And they're practicing skills that some of them haven't even been exposed to. I think about a number of our youth who are not, they come to us for transitional housing, but they don't know how to do their laundry and they don't know how to cook. Those are just two basic skills that they are not aware of. But well, there are many, but those are two. And partly, if you ask many of them, They were not allowed to use the washer and dryer in their foster homes, and they were not allowed to use the oven or the stove. Like They were not allowed to cook. And so they haven't even been exposed to these skills, let alone be proficient in them.
0: Something that I've discussed in other podcasts is, do you think there should be in the foster care system some accountability with foster parents to enable young people to learn these life skills, to learn how to use a washer and dryer, to learn how to cook? Do you think that's something that should come from the foster care structure and the expectations of foster parents? I've been
1: on both ends and we have a child placement agency and so deal with a lot of that. So I look at it from both ends, definitely. I think, you know, as an alumni aging out of foster care, heck yeah, that they should be accountable. But then again, on the opposite end, when it comes to the financial structure, the assurance structure of people's property, what they put their life into, a lot of the risk is there. Often, again, when you're dealing with that social emotional control and because teens, when it's time to really cook and learn all of this, you're a teenager. And because most teens, you know, are used to getting kicked out after doing something and just having to move, not somebody really standing in the paint. I understand where a lot of people be like, hey, we're not willing to take that risk. But I do think they need to be held accountable to if you have a young adult more than 90 days, then you definitely need to be taking the risk because you believe in that young adult. They feel like that's home and they definitely should be treated as a normal teen. But before then, I understand why people would be off for it. No, you can't do that. Yeah, And we have 32 homes across the state. So definitely something that we do, but understand what other people think about it.
3: I think you made a good point about the insurance part. What I also think about is if the state or the government assumes responsibility for these youth then they should also assume the liability part. And so if that means that the only, well, one of the biggest issues that's holding foster parents back is support from an insurance perspective, then it is on the government or the state or whomever assumes responsibility to assure the foster parents that they're being supported and so that they can do the things that they need to do so that these youth are supported or prepared when they age out of foster care, because you're going to pay for it at some point. It's a question of, are you going to pay for it on the front end or the back end? Do we support them where they are so that they get the skills and they're secure and the things they need to do? Or are we going to pay for it when we're trying to figure out? how to house them in a shelter or some other emergency housing situation because they're not prepared to live on their own. It's a community effort, but I ultimately think the government has to assume, and by government, whether it's state, local, whoever is considered the guardian, there has to be some support for foster parents to provide this assistance or this support to foster youth. For sure. And group homes as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Definitely group homes, because that's where we know typically most teenagers reside. If they're aging out, it's within the group homes. And it's the residential homes who have all them liabilities that often tell people no. But definitely agree with what Ms. Shaisa said.
0: Well, what would you say the primary goal of a transitional housing program? What is the most important thing that they need to achieve, the program itself, while working with these young people?
1: I think the obvious is definitely... Preparing a young adult for self-sufficiency and understanding you know how to manage a job, manage a home and their lifestyle, whatever they see fit. But most importantly, I think really exposing them to opportunities that help set them up to be self-aware. Because a lot of them will tell you, hey, I'm busy. I'm doing a lot. I'm here. I'm there. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But then when you really break it down to productivity and to what can create self-sufficiency and pay their rent, pay their bills, it's mostly nothing, slim to none. We track productivity in our program based on starting at 20 hours of work and work them up to 40 hours. And most of ours coming out between 18 and 19 average when they get to work their first few months, like five to eight hours of productivity a week. And so nowhere near is that ready to be self sufficient and pay your bills. And so it's about educating them on that awareness and that self awareness and how to make decisions.
0: All right. I appreciate what you've shared about the goals of a transitional housing program. I know that there's a wide range, a spectrum, if you will, of organizations that support young people aging out of foster care who need some kind of housing. You have everything from a nonprofit who just provides them with some help getting into an apartment and maybe some monetary support, all the way up to organizations that have their own housing on campus. They have case support, some kind of coach or mentor They have all of the wraparound services. So imagine from one end to the other, all of these nonprofits are providing some kind of housing support. If an organization doesn't have the ability to provide all the wraparound services, maybe they're just starting out, what would you say their primary goal would be? And I'll just throw that out there.
3: Are you asking if they provide housing, what their primary goal would be?
0: Yeah, because that's the core, right? The core is enabling a young person to somehow have a roof over their head.
2: Yeah, I would say I think that if an agency, well, I really, I think all agencies should strive to see how can we partner with people that are providing great services or, you know, able to provide support in areas that one particular agency might not be able to. And so That's what I would say, you know, as we're talking about key challenges that youth or young adults face when they're transitioning out of care is I think that it's really the continuum of care aspect where, you know, you're leaving a group home or let's just say with a foster parent where there's a lot of, or at least there should be, you know, we hope that there's a lot of wraparound support services. But as we transition out of care, it seems like youth are only able to grab on to few things. And I think it's just because some agencies don't really talk to each other as much as they should. And so that's what I would, you know, suggest is that agencies should be looking at at how do we collaborate with others.
0: Those partnerships would be absolutely key.
1: Yeah. And then I think, as we were saying earlier, what's important for them to provide is definitely collaboration is key because, again, that social emotional capacity of our young people I often see a lot of programs because, you know, we're like a la carte building out a network. But I often see a lot of programs say, hey, our young adults are doing good, they're great. And when you go inside their organization, they are, they're exceptional. But then when they step outside into the community and do something independently, it's really not executed the same way. And so for us, it's about not really what you do with us, what you do outside of us with the community and on your own. And really be empowering them to be self-driven so that they keep that confidence everywhere that they go and not just where they feel secure at in that organization.
3: I also think that support should be looked at as a continuum. So even in those organizations that may just be providing housing, it's how can we extend or expand this continuum? Even, you know, we think about the continuum of care. How can we make sure that even if they're just getting housing by just definition of wraparound support, there needs to be more. It's supposed to impact all areas of their life. What I've found is that without that support, that wraparound support, it is inevitably going to be a huge challenge for a young person to just be placed into housing. And then even if they're in the housing, there needs to be a next step, right? And the next step, there can't be this understanding that they get housing once and then they move on and they're prepared for adulthood. And so, Where do those other organizations specialize? You know, is it with older youth? Does this organization or maybe this county-ran project or state-ran project support youth at this age or housing or just
0: different areas? I think it needs to be looked at from a continuum perspective. So it sounds like even if it's a, I'll say smaller organization, at least insofar as the number of services or the wraparound services that they provide young people, even if they're only providing or enabling the young person to get some kind of housing, it really is important to build partnerships to ensure that continuum of care, if all the wraparound services are being provided to maximize the chance of the young people succeeding when they leave that program.
3: Yeah, I think Mike mentioned exposure and the more opportunities that youth have or the access to opportunities, I like to think of our job is to give them opportunities to make decisions about their lives. That decision may be that I want to move along and work with this organization in a different county or in a different city, giving them the opportunity to decide, hey, you have a choice about where you live or about how much Support you receive, but I definitely believe it has to be a collaborative approach and not a siloed approach.
0: What are the different transitional housing options that are out there? If a young person were to come to you and say, What are all the possibilities of different transitional housing that are available to me while they're in foster care? I had a couple jotted down here that were a little more on the newer side the tiny homes movement, organizations building tiny homes or purchasing tiny homes and either throughout the community or together in its own community. There are generational housing models where you put young people who are aging out of foster care who have aged out into a community with older adults, a retirement community so that you have kind of a built-in grandparent type of environment. There are a lot more than that. I just wanted to throw out a couple of the more unique ones. Let's talk about that so that we can maybe brainstorm all of the different possible models that are out there. Maybe we can start with the model that each of you have at your organizations.
2: Yeah, so I can talk about what we do at Adonai in Phoenix. So we currently have a shared housing model where it's kind of similar, you know, it's just like maybe a bunch of young adults that are kind of living together, like if they were to run out of house in college, right? It's where you they get their own rooms and... You know, and then we have staff that are on site from eight to five that can kind of provide case management support and you know assist them with just daily living. And so, so we see that working really well with the shared housing model. We also own some apartments, some like two bedroom apartments that the young adults are also able to live. And so, it's the service offerings are pretty much the same, and we see pros and cons in both from the apartment style as opposed to your single family home. Ad and I, we specifically do a shared housing model. We're looking into doing tiny homes as well, just thinking upstream, but we're just kind of still in development of that. But we have seen some benefits from others and other states with that model.
0: Your shared housing model sounds like if they're used to group home living, it's more like independent group home living, but without maybe as much of that structure where every minute of the day is planned.
2: Yeah. And we essentially, we call it a semi-supervised housing model where we check in from time to time. But for us, you know, with Ad and I, we would definitely want the young adults to have that support. And we kind of want them to try things and to kind of get used to living on their own and making decisions and understanding consequences with that. But, you know, we're there to provide support where necessary.
0: Excellent. And do you own your own apartments on a campus or are these apartments out in the community that you happen to own?
2: My partners, we all own the property. So all of the single family homes we own, and then the apartments that we also own, they're, they're all within like a triplex. So they kind of get exposure. And it, it's a really cool opportunity because it's not like those triplexes are specifically designated towards housing aged out youth. It's kind of have some of your more traditional tenants in there as well. So that way, you know, they can kind of get used to living with one roommate, but then also they get used to living with neighbors. So that's kind of our approach.
0: Neighbors who aren't also aging out of foster care. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. Mike, how about you? What's your structure?
1: Yes, ma'am. So like I said, we have a for-profit and a nonprofit. The for-profit focuses on real estate and the nonprofit focuses on all of our programming. And our what we call our homes are smart dream homes, and they're basically therapeutic empowerment coaching homes. And we're very intentional when we say that because we take a piece of property and we overlay it with the software that we designed and a wraparound services and educate young people on the three areas that we focus on in our tier. And we put them on a three-phase approach. So the first year, they focus on confidence, and then the second year, they focus on self-sufficiency and so forth. But how we did it is because the first year we launched back in 2020 is we realized that when we took the transitional housing approach as programs, like where we was working with government and taking in individuals and getting paid by government and having like a program rate, we realized that our young people were still staying in like a group home mindset. And so they were more rebellious. They had a lot more different behaviors. So what we did is we switched it up shortly after and created this model where we did standard landlord leases. And where we put all of our young people on the lease, but we waived background checks and deposits and things for their commitment to coaching. And so their leases are renewed based on their productivity in their life going through the phases. And our goal is to coach them through three phases that I mentioned into home ownership. And if they're following with their coach on the foundation side as they're receiving these wraparound services, we take a portion of their rent and invest it into a fund that they can utilize for their first-time homeowner's deposit to buy their first property over the five years.
0: I like the idea of making sure that they experience what it is to have a lease and to abide by it and so forth.
1: Because you know, if you deal with extension of foster care and all these new programs where the states is extending foster care, you realize that the young adults still think they're in foster care. You know, I was one of the foster young people that advocated for that, and what I realized is it's, key, it's pushing the needle back for our young people to really value adulthood. And it's like, hey, if I don't like this transitional housing program, F you, I'm out. And so they just get the choice to leave. And on the agency side, it creates that lack of conflict where, no, if you don't like your neighbor, you just can't leave. You just bought this house or you just signed a lease and you got to deal with it. You got to be a respectable citizen. And it's not realistic to allow them to leave. And then on the business side, it's not realistic for an organization to commit to a young person and they just think that they can leave their real estate and their property side, like Mr. Andre, they own the property. So they're doing this with their hard-earned investments and passion and time and resources. So on the other end, agencies and government needs to know that. And so we created this model that really keeps both ends accountable. And so that's why we do the year leases and nobody can leave unless, you know, it's a real standard violation.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. Shaisha, how about your organization? Yeah, so Life Skills Foundation,
3: we have two apartment buildings, two small apartment buildings where we house youth. They're two bedroom units. And we have a couple other offsite properties, another duplex that has two bedroom units, and then a house. We don't typically house more than two youth in a house or an apartment at one time. Actually, we just don't. Because you bring in extra friend groups, and usually that's where the source of issues are. And we try to have a lot of flexibility in what that looks like, in that not everyone is ready for a roommate. And they may have suffered a significant trauma recently, like an assault, or maybe, you know, they're struggling with some mental health issues where it may just may not be possible. And so sometimes there are youth who are in an apartment by themselves, just depending on the situation. And so they can stay in our housing for about a year and a half, up to a year and a half, just kind of depending on where they are. We have, we have a resident manager who's actually a social worker. She is an MSW social worker, and she lives on site. She's really here for after hours, She doesn't provide necessarily any service, direct services, but if there's a conflict with a roommate, she's here or oftentimes it's usually what's the Wi-Fi password or can I get into the food pantry? And so she's here for that. But it's nice to have someone here to just provide support after hours. The other thing is we have our services. We have office space where our apartment is. And we like to call it our little section of our street where we have the apartment and it's in a residential neighborhood All of our services are there. So it's nice for you to be able to come out of their apartment and go to services. Like it reduces a barrier of transportation or access to services. And they sign a lease. They pay a third of their income towards that. And that goes into a savings account, which we match when they move out. Essentially, once they start getting close to the time they are ready to move out, whether that's they've been there for a little while or they've decided I'm ready to move on. What we do is we start working with them to identify their next housing resource. So not all of the youth we work with are in our transitional housing. We also assist youth in independent housing and we will access either the fostering youth initiative vouchers through HUD if possible or they will find an independent apartment. So we try to move them into their own independent apartment. And at that point, we provide some rent assistance. So a deposit and probably support them with the first few months, depending on the young person and their need, with some rent assistance and getting into some furniture, getting into that apartment. And then we continue to provide those services so they can come back and forth. And sometimes we have youth who will come in our transitional housing and they're just not ready. They just age out of foster care. They're just not. It's not what they want. Because we do ask them to participate in services, you know, you need to meet with us to work on your goals, at least weekly, or be working in school and actually and working or in school. And some of them are just not ready. And so they'll leave. And sometimes they come back six months later, a year later, and they're ready, and they do much better. But we start, you know, we'll move them in and they can stay a year and a half and, and then they move into independent housing.
0: I like that, that you're helping them like one stage closer to independence, not just saying, okay, you're done with our program. (laughs) Bye-bye. Now, what other creative models have you heard about? I'm going to share a couple that I've heard in podcast interviews. One was an organization where they are working with young people to build their own tiny homes on wheels. So you have a young person who is part of the building process They build the tiny home on wheels with a company that does this kind of work. And then when they're done with the work, they get the home. So they have the keys to the home and the home is placed on a property because it has wheels. It can go on anybody's property. And so they work with partners, homeowners who say, yeah, I have two acres. This young person could absolutely live behind my place.
3: That's creative.
0: Yeah, isn't it? I found that very interesting. They check in with the young person. There's not a lot of heavy support there for them. It's just more of a check-in. But they can choose whether to rent that out. It's theirs. They can rent it out and get a little income from it. They can live in it themselves. They could sell it. Whatever they want to do, it's theirs. But the idea, of course, is that the support would be provided to them if they stay in it. And another one, of course, is the whole container home concept where people can take these container homes and like an RV, they make it livable like a little tiny home in and of itself. And so I've heard about container home communities. So are are there any other models that you've heard about out there or ways of structuring transitional housing that you've found interesting?
3: I have heard there are certain colleges who are recognizing the lack of support that foster youth receive when, or the extra support foster youth receive when they go to college, which is really nice. So I have heard of colleges essentially making sure their youth, foster youth have access to housing or using college or education as a way to provide housing. So I've heard of like, there's a college, a so in North Carolina, if you are in the foster care system or the age of the foster care system, you can go to college essentially to any public college in the state for free, but not some of those smaller colleges who are private. But there's a private college that's saying, okay, all foster you can attend here for free. And so while you don't have to worry about that, it's a very small college. And then that gives you access to housing as well, because I do think the wraparound and the housing go hand in hand. I don't think the housing can be the transitional housing or really independent housing or whatever can be successful without wraparound support at all. And so some of these universities are reaching out and contracting with other organizations to provide wraparound support. I was also on a call earlier today where there's an organization in What they do is they reach out to business owners or in the faith community and try to acquire properties or try to get businesses to kind of gather around and collectively support purchasing a property or funding a property maybe for an organization. And so they're really just being financial backers where there are other organizations who are providing their resources and utilizing the property for youth aging out of foster care. I thought that was a unique approach to getting other people who maybe don't have skin in the game, right? Getting them involved in the process.
0: Yeah. I think that more and more colleges are recognizing the needs that young people coming out of foster care have. I think that you've got, again, a spectrum. On one end, you've got colleges who don't understand it, and you might have former foster youth being homeless during breaks and over summer. And then you've got colleges that do recognize it and create programs like this, which seems like it's going above and beyond, which is awesome. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Mike or Andre, have you heard of other models of transitional living that might be interesting to share?
1: I haven't. The tiny home, the container homes, a lot of that is really the the new modern innovation when it comes to real estate and property. And then, of course, that's a lot of money right now from the government going into housing that's why we started our foundation. So we can not just support our own tenants in our home, but other people and educate them because it's a lot of money going to housing. And like Ms. Shaisa said, is that it's important that you do that overlay of wraparound. And a lot of people who have properties, there might be like older people out there or just people with a heart and with passion. They're like, hey, I want to use my property for this because they hear about it and have a local story, but then they don't wrap around it. And then now they're mad and the community has lost a passionate person who had a piece of property to provide some beds because they were unaware of the wraparound or they didn't know they needed a wraparound. And so just important. That's why I'm so big on the self-awareness piece for that.
0: How about host homes? What do you all think of the host home concept where you have somebody renting out their room, but maybe not necessarily charging rent? You might have, oh, I don't know, a retired couple. Their kids have gone. They've got extra room or rooms. They're like, oh, we can open our home. And I know there are nonprofits that work with host homes to provide housing. What do you think about host homes in that model?
2: Yeah, that's something that I was going to speak to there, but I've seen a few different Phoenix agencies do a host home model and we've done one actually earlier this year. But yeah, I, I think that there's been some success there. I think the challenge can be at times just trying to get those host homes to understand really the youth that they're serving. So I think a big piece of that is really training and helping them understand how to really support the youth and encourage them to be independent. I think host homes are great models when done right.
3: I like the way you put that, Andre. When they're done right, it's the key. I also agree. It, the host home sometimes it almost feels like it can be a little bit of uh, competition for host homes because sometimes they're seen as, as potential foster parents. But if you're able to secure, you know, solid host homes who or couples or homes who are open to allowing a young person in their home, like that human almost human touch, but that human support where it's a natural support or someone who's not a part of the system can actually make a huge difference. It's just there's sometimes like diamonds trying to find host people who are willing to be host homes.
0: Because they wouldn't necessarily be paid for it, right? If they were paid for it by the foster care system, then the young people might say, well, you're just paid like foster parents, right? You're basically foster parents.
1: Well, they definitely, because here in Florida, as far as the department in the state, They have them are actually the three options, host home, shared living or independent living, which is by yourself. And all three levels are paid, but they're paid to a different support level and depending on the state, too. So that's just here for Florida. But then everyone's paid based on, you know, the services provided and how much they provide. And so that's the important key, as everybody's saying, is just really educating that host home. Because again, there's a lot of people that have a heart and want to say, hey, you know, it's just my room. It's just a bedroom. And then they get that support. But then the lifestyle of that young person, again, is typically not during the day. It's at night. And so now they're disturbing their sleep. They're disturbing different processes and patterns in their home. And so it's just important that person is educated and supported.
3: Lynn, you bring up the different types of transitional housing for young adults. And it makes me think about, I wish, maybe this is just where I'm at in the triangle where we're one of the few organizations who if not the only organization who actually provides transitional housing specifically for young adults this population. But I wish there were options because I think like the host home is so appropriate for some young people. But then like Mike said, there are some people whose lifestyles are not appropriate for host homes, but they may be great for independent or transitional housing where, you know, in one of those units that Andre has, it's off site or maybe they're more appropriate for his shared housing. I wish there were as a country or just, we're all in different parts of the country, but it'd be so nice to see those opportunities offered. So it's not like, Hey, this is the only housing option you have. It's like, let's figure out what's actually most appropriate for you and your situation.
0: I wonder if, Well, of course, there is an opportunity for the government to set money aside to incentivize nonprofits to expand or to start to provide a variety of different options in a community.
1: That's where the nonprofit leadership and their fundraising strategy and how they go about, I think, really is important. And because the government has set aside some of that money, but then a lot of boards and a lot of nonprofits may say, hey, I don't want to do that because that's a risk. Because housing and real estate is a whole other ballgame when it comes to insurance and what typical nonprofits have for insurance and covering their board. So again, it is about educating that organization then about collaboration. So then, hey, if I don't want to do this, then I know I'm going to have partners in my network. Because the key to nonprofits now that I've seen is MOUs and strategic partnerships. So then it guarantees you a pipeline of success just for, you know, the transitional housing partners listening create MOUs and strategies with partners that guarantee your success in the pipeline as you know they transition out because like Andre has multiple properties and as Shaisha said that the levels is very important. How we do it Dash is our three phases is that and then the department of you know Florida does do that is they offer a host home first and then based on the annual assessment, they'll move you out into an independent living or they'll keep transitioning you forward. Because ultimately, what can also happen, and we've seen in Florida, is that the young adults will get in a host home and has a great relationship, but then they end up attached and don't want to transition out. And when it's time to transition out, now they're 23, 24, and their mental health starts to decrease and they start to be affected because the end goal and the intentional planning wasn't there. So just having them offerings, like everybody's saying as well, is so important.
3: You know what's interesting, Lynn? You mentioned the government providing financial assistance for this type of housing. It has been interesting that we have started seeing healthcare insurance companies, like health insurance companies, providing financial assistance. So we were able to expand recently because, at least in North Carolina, foster care, you know, well, in the country, you age out of foster care, you're entitled to Medicaid until you turn 26, just like with the affordable Care, You know, we can now stay on our parents' plans or whatever your kids can stay on your plans. So in North Carolina, the Medicaid contract, so they're outsourcing the Medicaid contract specifically for foster youth. And what we found is that healthcare companies are now saying, okay, if we want the contract, here are some things we're willing to do. And we had a Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina say, how much would it cost for you guys to provide housing to foster youth? Like We understand that that's going to impact their health care and all of these other areas. And they funded a project for multiple counties for us to actually establish housing for youth who've aged out of foster care. Again, it speaks to the holistic approach. Like We all have to collaborate together. And it's those big names, those you know, the government, it's sometimes hard to navigate government contracts and things like that. But like health care, like, you know, big health health insurance providers funding these types of things because it lessens their expenses on the end makes total sense.
0: I think from what I know of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, they have actually chosen aging out of foster care uh, and foster care in general as an area of community support you know, it is a service that they want to provide and that they pursue quite a bit different programs and strategies to support young people in foster care and aging out. Yes,
3: it's been a commitment. It would be nice to see that across the country, but it's made a huge difference to have big key players joining the fight, right? Because a lot of times it's like your DSS, foster care agencies, And then local nonprofits. But to get such a big agency to say, hey, we're in the fight too, it has been nice.
1: Yeah, it's great that you guys mentioned that because healthcare companies are definitely becoming more aware of just the mental health of society and offering them incentives around lifestyle because they see that's just as important as going to the doctor or going to the dentist or going to the eye doctor as well. And Centene Corporation and Sunshine Health, which I think they're national as well in multiple states if you're not familiar with them, they're a great organization as well, because like Blue Cross Blue Shield, they provide pay for every single level across Florida. I know that every young adult that ages out from 18 to 23 gets $500 once a year for transitional stipend, $250 a year for like health and wellness activities. And then they get debit cards that pay for every single time they go to the doctor or go to the dentist. And so they really incentivize a healthy lifestyle that ties into their social lifestyle. So which really empowers health and wellness.
0: That's fantastic. I think companies could play a much larger role in these young people's lives than they do. I just think about Milton Hershey School, which is a residential K-12 school in Pennsylvania that was started by Milton Hershey, who began the Hershey Foods Company, Hershey Chocolate. So every time you eat a chocolate bar, you are supporting this school that supports over 2,000 young people in this residential school every year. I think there's a great opportunity for companies in all sorts of industries to support young people aging out of foster care. And it may also be a pipeline of employees, depending on how it's structured. Exactly.
3: That's one It's pretty cool. The Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina, they actually started an apprenticeship program specifically for youth aging out of foster care where they are able to make certainly a living wage and then transition into more permanent employment.
0: It would be a fantastic if we could change the pipeline to prison to a pipeline to employment. It would take a lot of work and a lot of partnerships, but you know I like to be positive and optimistic. Well, I'm looking at the time. I see that we're going to have to wrap up I know we didn't touch on everything we wanted to talk about today about transitional housing. Maybe what we can do is set up in the AOI community with organizations that support young people aging out of foster care. It's an online community where we have begun regular meetings where members of the community can get together and chat about topics. So I think I'm going to put transitional housing strategies on our list of chats, maybe in the winter at some point and then we can sit down with other community members and brainstorm strategies. So we'll take care of the remaining questions through that avenue. But thank you all so much for joining the podcast today. Mike, Shaisha, and Andre, I really appreciate you, your organizations, and what you're doing for young people aging out of foster care. Having been there myself, I really do. It's definitely a place in my heart for organizations like yours that do this for these young people who so need this support. So thank you very much. Thank you, Lynn, for having us. Yes, thank you, Lynn. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. You're very welcome. Well, for those who have listened to the end, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so, and you can find them on our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and just look for the podcast link in the menu. But you can also find Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, our podcast, out on pretty much any podcast platform. So just do a search for us there. Thank you again for listening until next time.